Okay. Uh, we are continuing our study in the book of Colossians. And as we've pointed out many times, the emphasis in the book is on Jesus and how Christ is all we need. And there were uh, false teachers in Colossae that were trying to uh, deceive uh, the brethren and you know, get them to follow after other teachings. And so uh, Paul emphasizes over and over again what all Christ has done, is doing, will continue to do, and how Christ is all that they need. And we finished up with verse 14 of Colossians chapter 2 on Sunday. So I want to read verses 15 through 23, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about what's said there. Uh, starting verse 15 says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So, verse 14 uh, he was talking about Christ being crucified and certain things that were nailed to the cross, and we talked about that on Sunday. But then he, in verse 15, talks about the triumph that Christ made and how he disarmed the rulers and authority, authorities but also made a public display of them. So he showed how wrong they were. How wrong they were to crucify him. And that points to the Roman authorities who were ultimately responsible for doing that. But also the Jewish authorities who had stirred up the people and got them crying out to crucify Jesus. And he triumphs over them. He makes a public display of them by not staying dead. 
the resurrection was certainly Christ's triumph. So, he, Christ, he triumphed over those who crucified him. It was also a triumph over Satan. Because ultimately Satan was behind this. And he thought he was about to achieve this, or did achieve this big victory in getting Jesus put to death. But ultimately that became a huge defeat. In the words of Genesis 3, Satan bruised the heel of Christ. Christ bruised the head. A head wound's a whole lot worse than a wound on your foot. And so, certainly Christ triumphed over Satan who is the ruler of darkness, as many passages talk about. He triumphed over death, and his resurrection proved God's power over death. Death that came into the world because of what happened in Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve sinning. And Satan had this hammer. He could throw, he could use against all mankind because everybody that lived had to die. But Jesus, after death, was raised to never die again. And then he triumphed over our sins. As we talked about Sunday, you know, that was, you know, nailed to the cross. Those were the charges that... Uh, uh, you know, Jesus died because of. I mean, ultimately, that's not what uh, Pilate had nailed to the cross, but, uh, but that is ultimately why uh, Jesus had to die. So, a great victory for Jesus over Satan and his forces. And a great victory for all those who follow Jesus. And we can participate in that victory as well. Okay, any thoughts or comments anybody wanted to bring up before we uh, move into the last part of the chapter? Okay. Uh, so then Paul mentions, uh, he says, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon, or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to God. We see in this section, and this really continues through verse uh, 23, uh, but Paul is opposing certain things and you know, certain beliefs. Uh, I don't know that we know everything that he was opposing. Uh, but I think we have some hints by some of the things that we see here. Uh, he was opposing those who were continuing in Judaism, hanging on to that. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious, especially the end of verse 16, talking about the Sabbath day. That was something that was pretty unique to the Jews. Uh, 
does talk about food or drink and there were some dietary laws uh, that the Jews followed uh, but uh, there were also some other religions that had some laws concerning, concerning food and drink so I don't know that that's exclusively Judaism but the Sabbath day would be and then verse 18 I'd call these like mystery type religions and we talked about that early in the book uh, but he mentions visions uh, the worship of angels or other created things uh, there was certainly a group that you know kind of the mystical elite that took great pride in their mystical religions and it's only for a few of us elite uh, and I think we see him addressing those in this section and then Gnosticism was another uh, false teaching that I think got even more prevalent probably in the second century than it was in the first century but uh, there seems to be evidence that it was an issue there uh, in Colossae and uh, some of the things like what he mentions in verse 21 do not handle do not taste do not touch Gnosticism basically taught you know matter is evil the spirit is good and so they denied the uh, physical incarnation of Jesus that he really he didn't really exist physically but that was an illusion and the further away you get from when Jesus is actually on earth the easier that gets to promote that doctrine uh, so there were still those at this time who had physically seen Jesus but you get out to the second century there's nobody still alive that had seen him and uh, I think that's one reason why Gnosticism got uh, got more traction in the second century than the first but those seem to be some of the things that Paul was opposing uh, but you know verse 17 talks about says things that are a mere shadow of what is to come but the substance belongs to Christ I talk a minute about shadows we know what shadows are and shadows are in the image of the thing that is casting the shadow although it doesn't have the details but they're hanging on to the shadow would be somewhat akin to let's say you go to the airport and you've got a loved one who's been away and they're flying back in and you go to the airport to meet them now back in the good old days you'd be there at the gate as they walked off the plane into the terminal and you get to greet them there well we all know that doesn't happen anymore uh, so you get to greet them after they leave the secured area but let's say it's a you know sunny late afternoon the sun's coming through the windows at the airport 
and your loved one walks out of the secured area, the sun hits them and casts the shadow of them. Now, do you go running up to the shadow and give it a hug? No. The shadow isn't the reality. It isn't them. Uh, But what they were doing in hanging on to these things that weren't of great significance uh, was really like they were hugging that shadow. And certainly the things in the Old Testament and Judaism, they had their purpose. And that purpose was good. But these things foreshadowed the coming of Christ and pointed to that. Uh, So don't hang on to the shadow once the reality is there. And that's what, uh, what Paul is teaching. And then in verse 18, uh, he talks about these things that perhaps the mystery religions were hanging on to, uh, you know, worshiping angels, uh, taking his stand on visions that he's seen, uh, and delighting in self-abasement. And we'll find that word again in verse 23. And we'll talk about that with that. But he says, don't follow after these lesser things. Uh, But what you do hold fast to in verse 19, you need to hold on to Christ. So he says in verse 19, not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. And again, we have the image of the body uh, that we see frequently. And the head, we've talked about that, being Jesus. And it's important to note, the body can't survive without the head. I've never heard a medical diagnosis that says, ah, we got to amputate the head, it's in bad shape. I mean, you don't do that. Because you do that, the body dies. No question about that. Now, certain parts of the body can become diseased and cause us a significant enough problem that it has to be amputated. Uh, And that's done to save the rest of the body. But never would you amputate the head. So just like the body can't survive without the head, we can't survive without Christ. And so we need to be attached to Christ, attached to the head. And this head supplies, holds together, and causes growth. And all of those words are present participles. 
which would indicate continuous action. So these are things that are continuing to happen. As we hold on to the head, we will grow, we'll be held together, we'll be supplied with what we need. Any thoughts or comments on that section? Okay. And then verse 20, uh, we see reference back to something that he talked about in verse 8. It says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? In verse 8, Paul, in talking about the deception of these false teachers, they were teaching according to the elementary principles of the world. And we talked on Sunday where I think the important thing is the source of these principles. Any teaching of the world is not teaching that we need to hang on to because it's from the wrong source. Christ is the right source. So we need to hang on to what he says. Christ is all we need. And then also he mentions there in verse 8, according to the traditions of men, and we find verse 22 talking about the commandments and the teachings of men. So I think there's a tie-in there as well. So, again, we hold on to Christ, not to the teachings and principles of men. And then in the last verse, he talks about, uh, says, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And I told you we talk more about the word self-abasement because uh, we found it in uh, in verse 18 and again in verse 23 we find this same word again in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 although at first glance we probably wouldn't recognize it Colossians 3 and verse 12 says and so as those who have been chosen of God holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You look at that list and it's like, hmm, those are pretty good things. This doesn't look like what is being condemned here in the latter part of Colossians 2. But the word translated self-abasement in verse 18 and verse 23 is actually the word humility. It's the same word. Humility generally in the scriptures is a good thing and looked upon favorably. 
certainly is in Colossians chapter 3. But it can become a bad thing when it's put on for show. Because then it really ceases to be true humility. And we have an example that I wanted to look at in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. This is the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So, Jesus is telling them, when you fast, and he's not condemning fasting at all, uh, it, it can be good, but he says, don't make it look like you're fasting. Don't draw attention to yourself. Look what I'm doing. I'm fasting. That, I think, is the kind of false humility that is being described here in Colossians chapter 2. Don't put on a show. But it's good to have true humility. And, you know, we're told to do that. So, I thought that was interesting. Uh, so I wanted to point that out. Okay, any thoughts or comments on that or anything else in chapter 2? And here comes a microphone for Carrie. Yeah, there you go. Um, in chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about... Um, that no one deluded you with plausible arguments. Mm -hmm. And then in uh, verse 22 that we read just in 23, um, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Mm -hmm. So these weren't just crazy people saying crazy things. They were making plausible arguments. Mm -hmm as a lot of the religious people today do. And that's how you can be deceived. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, things that are really off the wall aren't that hard to sniff out. But uh, the devil's pretty crafty. And he can make false things look pretty good. And that's why it's so important to look to the scriptures because in the scriptures, we know what's right. And uh, that's why Paul is urging them to hang on to Jesus, hang on to what they have been taught, what they know to be right, so that they won't be deceived by these false teachers. So, very good point. Anything else? Okay, well, I'm ready to move to chapter 3. Uh, so 
So let's look at the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So Paul shifts some gears here. He's been talking about these things to avoid in the latter part of chapter 2. And now he's talking, he starts talking about things that we need to do. And he starts off by saying, if then you have been raised up with Christ. Well, that should strike a chord with us. We saw that earlier in chapter 2. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, we're raised up with Christ when we're baptized. And he says, if we've done that, we need to keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. So, in other words, there's no doubt, but what if you've been raised up with Christ, these are the things you need to do and follow after uh, to be pleasing to God. And uh, he mentions... Uh, Christ is our life in verse 4 and in chapter 1 in verse 27 Christ our hope of glory so Christ is our hope Christ is our life we need to seek those things of Christ or as verse 2 says set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth or the things that are earthly. And this is language and the contrast that we see in other parts of the scripture. And so I thought we'd look at a couple of those. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, we find a similar idea. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 18, says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in 18 and 19, he's talking about those who are described as enemies of the cross of Christ. They've set their mind on earthly things. In contrast with those who are 
citizens of heaven uh, who are part of heaven's kingdom or commonwealth. Got a footnote for that word citizenship that literally it means commonwealth. Uh, And setting our mind on the things above in the language of Colossians 3.2. So, our life changes from a physical emphasis to a spiritual emphasis. Also in Galatians chapter 2, Paul talking about himself personally, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So, Paul's saying, I'm not living for me anymore. His former life he did, even though he was a very religious person and did things, he was very zealous in what he did and did things he was convinced were right, but they were wrong. He was opposing Christ. And... Now, he's been crucified with Christ. He's put to death that former life. And says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He lives by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So, we need to take on the attitude of Paul. And live our life for Christ, following after what he says to do and putting aside the things of this world and the things of the flesh. And then one more in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So, the same idea there, living for Christ, no longer living for ourselves. Okay. Then verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. And then verse 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So, what's the result of this living for Christ? We are living with him and we will be revealed with him in glory. So, looking forward to the glory that we have that we will have if we live our lives the way that Christ would want us to live so 
a really uh, a really good picture, certainly a contrast to the way of life described in the latter part of chapter 2. And also a contrast to what we'll see starting in verse 5. Okay, any thoughts, comments on any of that? Okay. So, in... Verses 5 through 11, 